Grow Retain Podcast. How's it going, Dan? We're here with uh, another uh, episode of the Gang Grow Retain Podcast. I got my good buddy Dan Ennis with me today. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. On a, it's hard to complain Friday to Friday morning, so it is never a bad thing when you're coming to the end of a week and ready to go into a good weekend. That's right. Friday the 13th, nonetheless. In, in it's a, true. October here. That is true. My goodness, I didn't even lost it. So I guess maybe I should knock on wood that it stays a good Friday and uh, doesn't doesn't get any bad luck today. It will. It will. It's all in our heads. Well, let's jump right in. So where are you today? Are you uh, back home now? We, we saw each other last week in D.C., but you're back in California? Exactly. Back home, uh, just outside San Francisco in the Bay Area. Uh, similar, I know we were talking earlier, a lot, of, a lot of travel recently on my end. So it's kind of good to get a, a little bit of a breather between between some work travel this week. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you who don't know Dan, Dan is, uh, he, you have to tell me your real title. So I'm yeah. gonna, he runs basically all the scale programs at monday.com. This little, little company called monday.com. If you haven't heard of them, you should probably tiny check little, it out. Tiny little org. No, yeah, yeah. I manage our, uh, I manage our, our scale customer success team at monday.com in the U S here, um, as part of our broader customer success organization, been doing that for about the last, uh, three years now, a little over, which is crazy you feel like you, know, you blink and, and it's it's already been three years but especially these past three years have been a little bit of a time warp for us all so could not agree more i couldn't agree more it's you started uh, you know, you, COVID. i was gonna say exactly yeah i started uh back when uh i remember back when it was early enough in covid that we thought i remember when i was interviewing we thought that we were so optimistic that, yeah we'll be back in an office by september like when I was interviewing, thought it was going to be that short, and you know, back in twenty twenty, little little did we know, right? And, uh, little did we know. It's crazy. All right. Well, you talked about scaling, you know, scaled success and that kind of thing. It's something we talk about a lot. In fact, this is a whole series of, on the podcast that we're doing around scaling customer success. It's never been more important than it is in twenty twenty three when valuations have sort of come back down to earth after those past three years we just talked about. Uh, companies are looking to get more efficient the way they sell, the way they market, the way they drive customer success. So what does scaling success mean to you, Dan, and your team and your company and your customers? <laughs> yeah. So kind of uh, philosophically for me, I would say before jumping into like the exact concrete of what it means here, it's it's really, it's, you know, we think of that, that word scaling. So it's, it's increasing the uh, amount of impact you're having for your customers without necessarily having the same one-to-one increase in input on the, the human side. Like that's, that's really like oversimplified, but like, that's what it boils down to. It's increasing the impact with customers. And that can be multiple ways that's increasing the uh, volume of impact, uh, like with an individual customer, like you've got a large customer and you're having a, a larger impact with them without increasing that same one-to-one input. Maybe it's increasing with a higher volume of customers, like the actual like, quantity of customers you're working with, which is typically how we think of it, which is what my segment is. So ultimately, that's what we were doing at Monday. So we're, we're truly a, a motion that helps focus on the kind of growth and retention for our customers, which I know that's kind of the bread and butter for customer success. But really, we're looking to have a quick impact with customers to grow them out of being in a, a scale segment um because with especially with monday where uh you know with being primarily we just recently rolled out mul- multiple product lines this year but historically where the the way you grew with monday was through added licenses and users there really was a pretty linear increase on the complexity of a customer and their spend right like where arr isn't the only thing that indicated that 
So we would work with a customer while they were less complex to help grow them to a point where they would need that other, maybe more traditional customer success motion. But yeah, so working with those customers in a way that didn't involve just throwing the same headcount at them. Very, very cool. And so you, the, the scale segment of customers, which is often where people start, is sort of where you all started, right? What kind of what kind of programs have you put in place to help to help drive that for that that segment? And then I got a follow up for you on that one too. Awesome. So I'll start with where we where we started and where we are now. So I think I like to I think it's helpful in some ways to hear that because a lot of companies, especially going this year. Uh, I don't want to just jump into what we're doing now because they'll, that'll be the three years end version, uh, right. which is exciting. And I love that. I love the where we've grown and progress on that. But I think sometimes if companies hear just that, they think like, I can't do that like out the gate. And I don't think that's helpful because we did not start, I wish I could say we did, but we did not start as on it as we are now. And so we started with a couple of immediate things that planted the seeds for what we still do now, even as we've we've modified them over time. Um, some of the North Star things were number one, committed out the gate to something like an office hours because we knew that was a one to like a, a very easy way to take the same amount of input from that would be with one CSM to one customer historically to make it one to a hundred customers to 50 customers, fill in the blank. So very easy to implement. We had that from day one. And despite us modifying the the content and cadence of that over time, that's been one of the pillars. That's never gone away. That was one of our best decisions out the gate um, to do that. Secondly, was a commitment to <clears throat> one-to-many asynchronous communication to work with customers. Um, initially, we did that before we had someone who we'd identified who was doing really good at creating that content. It was really ad hoc. It was CSMs, you've got your accounts in your name. Let's test what works. You've got you know, the ability to do that. And so part of how we did that was we KPI'd CSMs on doing these campaigns, on doing that with their with their portfolio. And all they were, they weren't accountable for the outcome because we wanted to encourage scrappiness. So what they were accountable to was measuring it. That's what we said, you have to measure. It doesn't have to be successful, yeah. but you have to measure so that we can know if it was successful or not out the gate. Like that was one of the things we did, um, which of course kind of speaks to that third pillar, which was going to be measure everything because we have to know what's successful or not because we can't rely on the same one-to-one customer feedback that we historically would in a more traditional motion. There's still a place for that. And we we still get customer feedback directly. Absolutely. But you can't rely on it the same way you can with a, with a traditional high touch motion. Um, and then that last leads to the kind of fourth pillar, which is just as core, which is data driven, like identification of where our team needs to spend their time, because it's all about, it's not about, and this is where I know I'm preaching to the choir when I talk with you and, and probably anybody listening to this, that scaling is not about removing the human component. It's really about being able to, if anything, maximize where our team is spending their human time. Because there absolutely are times where the best thing to do is get one-to-one -one intervention from a member of our customer success team. But it's about maximizing yep. that. And so when we started, we were just truly just using our existing kind of health score model that Monday already had because we wanted to, to make it as low of a lift as possible so that we could just get started. We didn't want to make a big investment out the gate on, hey, here's all the tools we need to buy to do something scaling out the gate because there'd be no buy-in. So we needed to get success proven first, and then we iterated over time. And so those same pillars are what we do now, except now instead of it being, uh, so office hours largely looks the same. The content and cadence looks different now maybe, but the overall format, that's that's been a win from the beginning. If we had one thing that was the, the home run out the gate, that would be it. Nice. Um, 
the one-to-many asynchronous. So now rather than it just being ad hoc that CSMs are doing, it takes place in two different ways. Number one, we've really centralized it because we identified someone who did really well at that. So we've empowered her to run with helping create a lot of the proactive content that's working with our customers based on their life cycle, their maturity, their use case, that's going out to customers more centrally and providing a, a library of asynchronous resources that our, our team can send to large swaths of their book if they're noticing a trend. Hey, we really wanna increase usage on this, this particular area. So we've got things that we've pre-built out that they can just more or less just send. So the team doesn't have to do what they're not all individually good at. So it's kind of lightweight specialization going into that. Um, the third being the, the measure everything, we still measure away. Uh, Absolutely everything we we do. Um, that's just, that's not gone away. And then lastly, the data-driven risk assessment, we've gotten a lot more complex than just our health score. We've worked really closely with our, our business operations team to do a lot of research into what are the actual data-driven ways that we can tell that customers are at risk. Um, and we've got a really kind of thorough model that we've built out. So we've got this great just-in-time uh, human intervention with a lot of our customers. Man, that's awesome. There's so much to dig into here. I know. I was like, I don't want to give it to give the both no, sides out. No, no, it's great. Like, the, but the the first thing I'll just double down on this office hours concept for those that are, you know, familiar with the Game Grow Routine, not just the podcast, but the community. And if you were involved back in 2020, when the pandemic started, you'll know, like, that's how we started Game Grow Routine too. We always had the podcast, but then when we really started to click it and turn it into a community is when we added those office hours in. And office hours don't have to be difficult. I think you hit on a couple of things that are really important there. One is um, having a, a set cadence, right? Whether you do it once a month, once every two weeks, once every week, it's the same day of the month or the same day of the week at the same time so that your customers just know to expect it. And then you can sort of plan topics and then you fill in the blanks underneath those topics, right? And it's really more of like what you and I are doing here. It's a discussion about best practices or how to use the product. Um, things that your customers care about. And if you can get them together, they make connections between each other. They make connections with you and your staff, uh, you know, from Monday or from our company. We do the same thing, by the way, not just for GGR, but for our products as well, like HireLogic Vanilla. So um, I just love, love, love that. It's a way to start thinking in terms of one to many and community before you buy any products or tools or give anybody a specialized role, like you mentioned. So I just, I always love to double down on that. Cause I think if you think of the crawl, walk, run of really driving customer community, it's office hours is like part of that, the crawl, just like you did, just like you described it. How did you, how did you, the, the asynchronous thing really intrigued me. How did you do that? Especially if you were having CSM sitting out to just their book, were they using um, the same platform that the marketing teams use or were they using another platform? How did you, how did you pull that off? Yeah. So one of the tools that, so we've already always had a, a tool that, so on our end, we did not use initially. We use the same tool that the marketing team does now for our more lifecycle based, the truly asynchronous ones uh, that are coming kind of more centrally from Monday. We use the same tool as the marketing team for that now. Initially, we didn't. So here's how we did this before. I love this. And this is, I, I, I actually do recommend this, this kind of approach initially for, for a lot of teams when you're starting, especially if you don't have a dedicated program manager out the gate, which you likely won't when you're starting right. this. Um, that's and that's okay. Uh, what we did was this. We had them, we already had an email tool that we were using to kind of for like tracking open, you know, open rates, those kind of normal things we would already, most companies have an email tool for, right? 
making yeah. sure it's being, you know, what's being seen and clicked um, that had a, a campaign feature to it that we'd already been using historically for other purposes before. Um, so we repurposed that tool to be able to use that for the campaign feature there, which just lets you upload to a, a, a number of you know, recipients. You can schedule another touch if they don't respond, all the kind of things with it, right? Systems would do that, the copy there. But what we did was when we wanted to track this, when I talk about us tracking the goal of it, because we're very data driven, what we wanted to do was we had that we had a it was a Monday board for us, but really you could use a Google sheet, it does, it, whatever this is. What you we did was systems would put in here's the campaign I'm going to be sending, here's the outcome I'm hoping to have as what comes out of it. Here's a copy of some of the copy I'm going to send. We get like a quick review on that peer review because we wanted to make sure people were like looking at it because we knew we didn't have a dedicated person who was amazing at this out the gate, right? So people would review it, see, you know, kind of peer review. Here's the goal I'm trying to have. And they would send it. Then after uh, X amount of time, I'd have to go back and look. I think it was you know, a certain amount of time. They would go back, update with the results. And the results were obviously the the performance metrics out the gate, right? The open rate, click-through rate, looking at that kind of info so we could see what worked from a performance perspective. But then what was the actual usage change? Did it do what you were hoping it would do? Because we were very clear with our team, like, open, like high open and click-through rate is good, but isn't the goal. That's right. like, that's the mechanism. Yep. If you And we checked all of that because great, like, okay, if you didn't have a high open rate, like, that does that by definition, we don't know if what you put in the email would have actually done what we wanted it to do or not because nobody opened it. Nobody opened your email, right? So we yeah. could we could know where to to kind of adjust and iterate on going forward. Um, so we could see if something was successful or not. So that was how we we measured it. And we just used the existing tool that we had, wasn't what marketing was using. Um, they held the keys to that and we eventually now use what they use. But at the time, we just kind of were, were with the team that our, our CSMs all had. Yeah. I mean, you can use, uh, there, there's like sales loft and outreach and some of these sequence tools that are, you know, fairly standard and tend to be sitting around the organization. If you can get your team into those, right? Like we, we actually have our team send out loom videos to each of their, yep. to all the customers in their book each month. We, we do a similar thing. We have a script that everybody sort of follows, but then they customize it and personalize it with their personality so that they're getting that warm touch from the CSM. They don't necessarily have to talk to them every month, right? But if they need them, they'll know who they are and they'll, you know, know that they're a friendly face just through that video. So that's been a really powerful tool for us as well. Have you have you all experienced experimented with any video? Uh, yeah, we use. I mean, yeah, we do that all, all the time. Yeah, we absolutely. So we we do um, a couple of different components to it. Number one, there's from a, a personalization perspective, we do the the video component, but then also from a repeatability perspective, we have team members when they, especially with, with something like Monday, for example, where we've got a very, so many broad use cases, we find right. someone will have like a use case that resonates, then they'll record a, like a version of something that they've nailed that others can then repurpose and use from a repeatability perspective, right? So we use the video yeah. all the time. And that's one of the, our go-to things that we, that we use. Um, even you know, sometimes it's just as simple as just to humanize it. Like, Hey, you know, so-and-so I'm, yeah, you know, I'm CSM. Would love to connect. Fill in the blank. Other times, it's here's some of the things you can do. Hey, here's a quick walkthrough of a, a solution that'll help you immediately be able to to onboard more of your users, get your use cases on board in Monday. Here's the link to install. I've showed you the video how to do that. Whatever. Like, there's all those different ways. Like, 
video is is absolutely massive. It's it's been the most common way with with using things like looms. That's cool. Um, let me take let me take us down a little side road real quickly because you mentioned something there that's really interesting. You talked about being a horizontal solution, and so for for people maybe that haven't been exposed to that language yet, horizontal solution. Think of it like Microsoft Word. Like you can use that in any industry to do to write a document, right? About whatever it is you're needing to write about. Monday is pretty similar, right? It's it's a it's a very it's not really specific to any one industry. You can use it for a lot of different things, as opposed to like a vertical solution, which would be, you know, like a billing solution for um, medical practices, right? Very vertically focused, very specific on what it does, and you probably wouldn't find that solution outside of uh, you know a medical practice. Where Monday you could find in a medical practice, you could find it in a software company, you could find it in a industrial or manufacturing business. So. Talk to me a little bit about how you think about organizing this stuff to drive adoption when the use cases could be so wildly different. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love. So I've worked in vertical before where you could follow some of the typical, it's prototypical customer success advice, become an expert in your customers' businesses. Yeah. Um, that I always resonated with, funny enough, I always resonated with that kind of advice until I started working at Monday because it was my Monday's like my first real horizontal solution that I've worked for. Cause historically it's been more vertical solutions where that makes sense. You can learn an industry, grow into that industry transparently. Like when you're working at a, at a horizontal industry, it, it's le- a horizontal product. That's a lot more difficult to do because you can only get so deep with these different industries. But the, the positive part is what I, the way I think about it is, it becomes about asking really good questions. Um, I would say is a is a big core component to it because while the specific use cases vary greatly, um, the core kind of desires and business outcomes that people are trying to achieve are can still roll up in a few common ways with our product. And so it's really about asking those questions to understand what it is that someone's really trying to do, uh, whether that's done asynchronously um, or capturing that like in a conversation that you have with the customer. Um, there's there's a number of different ways to get that info, but like it really drills down to, despite their the breadth of the specifics of their use case, like the goals are, are outlined some pretty common common goals. They're trying to, to save time. They're trying to automate processes. They're trying to increase the way that they foster collaboration between team members, have higher visibility and reporting into whatever their use case is. Um, so there's that component. And then there is, uh, the other part of it is truly, uh, and this is something else that's funny because it feels like it's grown a little out of fashion because people have, you know, have said, at least more recently, I see a lot of people making comments about, oh, you know, CSM, like you, you don't want to just be a product expert. And and I hear that, like, you're not just about that. You want to become like a, a true consultant and, and business ally. But you know what? Like when you've got a, like such a horizontal solution, like the table stakes is your superpower is your intimate knowledge of your product. So you can take this kind of complex situation that you are only going to get X percent of understanding of because you don't work in that industry. You're not going to have the full context for a logistics use case for every single one because you, you're just not. Yeah. You can get a good level of knowledge of it to understand, but then you combine that with your like really high level of knowledge of how to 
accomplish almost anything with our product, then you can meet in the middle there and really help give that kind of guidance to a customer. And that's something that goes beyond just like scaling. That's just our, our customer success in general, but you apply that at the scale side um, with the way our teams are, are able to do that. So that's really where I would say it goes is you have to be, you cannot skimp on product knowledge. And I know it's the unsexy thing because we talk about, you know, things like being a consultant, but look, like it's your superpower. And I will never forget during my first week at Monday, uh, one of our leaders said to me when I was in my onboarding, just know that your superpower will be your knowledge of our product. And I remember thinking like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a cliche thing. But I remember going back to that same guy a year later and thanking him like, how long does it take you to summarize a customer account for a meaningful meeting, the history, product usage, health score, survey responses, call notes, interactions? It can take hours or it can take a few seconds with customer briefs from ChurnZero. Powered by CSAI, customer briefs gives you an instant account summary with every detail that matters in a single click. Discover how much time your team can save with ChurnZero, your platform and partner for customer success at churnzero.com you were not exaggerating. Like that's what's like what enables the success there. But it, yeah, it makes total sense. And we shouldn't forget that the basis of what we're doing in most of these companies is actually providing a product that has to work for the customer on a day-to-day -day right. basis. So yes, there's consultation involved, but how can you separate that consultation from knowledge of the product? You, you, you really can't to your point. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and a customer can tell if you're, if you're afraid to go into your product, you know what I mean? Like that's what it is. Cause if you're at that, a customer will sniff through your BS in a second, like they'll be able yeah. to right away tell. And then that reflects on the product and that, you know, and then therefore all your ability to be a strategic advisor. That's right. That's what I was just going to say. It, it, it actually erodes trust because if you can't go to the product, well, why am I talking to you? Right. If you can't talk to the product at all now, you know, there's a difference between being a total gearhead and being able to map the product to the outcome, right? And we have to be able to do both uh, in customer success. It's just no, there's no two ways about it. So yep. can we go back now, now that I took us down that side road, super interesting, by the way, we could probably talk about that for a whole episode. But when you think about, um, so you, I'm going to go back to something else you said as well. You've talked about being data-driven how did you, um, as you, as you were setting up sort of these scale programs, it sounds like content is a big piece of it for you and you've now got somebody dedicated to that, but how did you start to decide which pieces of content, which topics were important? Like what, I imagine you use some kind of data to inform where to focus your energy. So talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So with that one, it was based on outcomes. So for us at the time, it was looking at what were the outcomes we wanted to achieve and that we knew our customers would want to achieve. So um, for us, the data, like I said at the beginning, when it was a little less sophisticated, it was using two data points were kind of our main core drivers of, of where we were prioritizing in the outcomes. Number one, being monthly active users. Number two, being our, our overall health score at the time, like just kind of the general health score. Um, and then, so what we did was, great, those were what we wanted to see improve. So our health score, like any other company out there, like has several components that go into it, right? So, okay, we would create content that would be intended to move the needle in one of the areas of the health score. Because we don't want to say, okay, great, like all the customers who are red health, 
because there's any different reason they could be. So we yes. pick a component of it and then identify the cohort of customers that were low in that component of it and create content that would be driving the needle on that. So uh, one of ours is, for example, one of the pillars of it is um, average actions taken. Um, so we would you know, intentionally drive towards a usage that would be repeatable actions. That would be you know encouraging the higher number of actions. So taken in the platform because we knew that we know that the more they're using it, the more benefit they're able to get out of it. Like they're for the most part, right? There's a pretty strong correlation there. So we could do that. Or a monthly active users, we would point to uh, a use case that would be, we'd send something that would help encourage a, a more collaborative outcome. Like, hey, and some universal use cases that are collaborative. Like, are you using this for your one-on-ones? Are you using this for your fill in the blank? Like things that would bring in more mm -hmm. users. Right. And so we would identify the content based on what we wanted to see. So it was working backwards from the outcomes we wanted to achieve. And that was then where we could use data to identify which customers needed this. And then data, because truly, like this is going to sound cliche, but everything is data. So data wouldn't just mean like the numbers, but it would also look like, hey, customers who've said this is their goal, right? Like, great, let's include them in one that's targeting that use case and they're low on this area. So we could pretty hyper-personalize that even out the gate. Did we talk about a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy? Have We, we talked did not. No. This oh, is, oh, I'm, okay. I'm ready. So um, there, there's a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy by Richard Rommelt, which is an awesome, it's, it's a fantastic book. And it really gets, it sort of cuts through the noise on like, what is this strategy thing? Because people, I think, think strategy happens up in the stratosphere, right? And it's nebulous kind of thing. But what really what you just described there is, is the core principles in that book. So I'll give you the quick synopsis. Number one is there's a diagnosis of a specific problem, right? Which you hit, right? It's like, you got to look at the data, look deeper in the segmentation. Don't look at your health score, look at the components of your health score and find the hot spot within that that you want to solve for. So that's one, you got to really diagnose the problem. Number two is you set a guiding policy for how you're going to solve the problem. In your case, I'd say, you know, you're going to create content to educate your customers on the things they can do with your product relative to that pro problem. And then the third component is, and this is where I think people often stop after the first two, right? That's the strategy. It's not the complete strategy. The third component makes it a complete strategy, which is coherent actions that you're going to take. The specific execution steps that you're, that you're going to line up across your team, across other departments in the organization to go carry out that policy and to drive that strategy. So you would love that book. I have a feeling, yeah. maybe even just a summary on it. Maybe we can find one and include in the show notes here. But um, but I think that it, it, I'm actually doing a talk on this in a, in a few weeks at a, a private equity round table. And the, um, I think a lot of people miss that, right? A lot of times it's like we, we play up here in the stratosphere around net revenue retention or gross revenue retention or, you know, cost of goods sold, trying to control that. But you, to, to really develop a, a strategy, you've got to get deeper in your data and you got to look at where the specific problems are that you're going to solve, which help you solve your bigger problem. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Because that's what it, it's because you break down the components that go into that, right? Like, yes, your end goal is improve the NRR, obviously. But if Not you just say that, you're going to just throw so much at the wall and hope something sticks. So you got to go upstream. Like, so is your NRR low because you've got a leaky bucket and you're actually having a retention problem because 
increase it. This is so obvious. But I say this to people all the time, like increasing your GRR increases your NRR. Like that's obvious, but like, is it a leaky bucket problem that you have a retention problem? Okay. Right. Is it, you're having a growth plateau problem? Okay. So what is the wall that like, so you've got to understand that so that you can move the needle to increase the actual outcome you want. And so I love that. That really, that clicks. Cause I talk about that all the time of, it all rolls up to these things, like with my team. So for us, we because customer success owns gross retention at, at Monday, because we care about net retention, but our account managers are the ones who own growth. So we we both kind of like have a hand in each. So I talk with our team, yes, it, it gross retentions are what we are trying to hit. But if I just say that, you're gonna constantly be chasing fires. So let's look at the components that go into that so that we can have a strategy that helps our team. Absolutely. I, I think really well said. And I think of it like a rifle shot versus a buckshot, right? And yes. I, I'm not a big <laughs> guy, but like a rifle, you're aiming at one thing specifically. A buckshot is like a scattershot, right? You can, you, you're you going to hit something maybe, but you're also going to hit a lot of nothing too with a, with a buckshot, right? In a, in a shotgun. So um, this is all about taking a very specific, and right now I think it's more important than ever for us to do that because there's so much scrutiny on the cost of whatever it is we're doing. By the way, the same goes for sales and marketing. You got to get real clear on your ICP right now and you got to go after it very targeted and focused if you're going to maintain a, a nice you know CAC ratio or a nice gross margin in the case of customer success. So well even then it's fun when you when you look at that. One of the things I, I love was uh, and this is why I love our, our CEO and, and we had, a, had the privilege of hearing him speak at, at Saster a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about how it's all about the reality of, of your business and not like these, these numbers that can become vanity metrics. He talked about, you yeah. can massage something like customer acquisition cost to, to be almost whatever you want it to be on the outside. Right. And things like lifetime value, like how long are you measuring? Like all these things like are, you know, and his point was get to the reality of your business, not chasing these like numbers that you can try to massage. Cause that doesn't actually help your business. That is such a good insight. There's a, there's an HBR article on this too, that, that says something very profound and we don't think about it often, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's like metrics are a proxy for what's happening in the real world. Right. And to your point, sometimes we take these metrics as gospel, but we should never do that because you don't know how that metric was created. You don't know what's counted and what's not counted in there. I ask those questions all the time. Like I get these reports from my teams and it's like, well, What's underneath this? Give me the detail and I'll tell you if it's right or wrong, <laughs> right? So Exactly, exactly. I love talking to you because you get as amped up about this kind of stuff as I do. I just <laughs> it's true, it's so good. <laughs> Let's. So we had a cool conversation uh, at Big Rig last week, uh, the Churn Zero Conference, which we were both in DC for, which is fun, great show. Uh, but we, were, we talked about this whole idea of the um, sort of the ebbs and the flows in the economy and surviving the 2008, 2009 downturn, which we were both, you know, in, in the, in the world then. And you had another one back in 2000, 2001, uh, it was a tough time in tech, but how are you, how are you coaching your teams right now to, to think about where we are in the economy? It's different than it was. Yeah, it is. There's a, there's a number of, of ways the coaching, the coaching plays out and it's, um, there's like a, a business side and then there's like a the personal professional side for, for people. So on the business side, it's easy to look at the economy and, you know, the way that it, hurt, it hits every company's retention rates, right? Like across the board. And so obviously we're not immune to that. 
Um, but it's it's one thing. The coaching to the team is to say, hey, we don't look at the econ- macroeconomic situation and say, man, the macroeconomic situation, therefore we're just getting hit. No, we look at it to say, great, so we can't just keep doing what we've always done. Like, so what needs to change? It's right to acknowledge it. It's right to see it. But if the end result of that is you're just throwing your hands up, like, yeah, the, the economic situation is crazy right now. Um, I don't mean to you know put too fine a point to it, but I think we're missing it if that's your reaction to it. The reaction should be, I need to like acknowledge it. And the acknowledging it then means now don't just try to keep doing the same thing and hope it works. Try something different. So there's that part of the coaching um, because it's easy to see this and just get overwhelmed and say, I don't know what I can do about it. So coaching people to, to do that. Then the personal professional side uh, also comes into play. And I think this is not at all unique to anybody who I've uh, worked with. And I think it's it's pretty common in SaaS when I, when I talk with people about this is there's a different mentality that people need to approach when they think about whether everything from career progression to what comes in with work to everything in between when you're in a macroeconomic situation like we're in now, uh, which is about the the phrase that I've, I've loved that's taken off a bit more lately, which is instead of hyper growth, it's been durable growth. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that's been the phrase that I've heard a lot of times people have said, I, I'm by no means an originator of that phrase, but I've loved hearing that that's the focus. But there's a very big difference when you're in durable growth versus hyper growth um, for the way you think about your career, for the way you think about what goes into just all the little parts of your job where there's just more sleeve rolling up and it is harder. And that's, that's okay. Um, and so there's the coaching of, on the one hand, coaching people to, you know, it's okay that things are different. Um, but also coaching people how to think through your career in light of that. Now progression doesn't look the same as it did two years ago. Right. Uh, you know, promotion tracks don't look the same. All these different components to it uh, look different when your company isn't you know, doubling headcount every year or whatever or more, right? And so that's been coaching, um, especially when you work with people who've only worked in the, the booms. Um, I think it is a experience I've heard from other leaders. That's definitely something to to be coaching people through. Really, is thinking about it for the long term, and that's been the big thing. Is hey. Rather than thinking about that next position title, like you may have been for the last couple of years where you're just looking at that next position because it's always like a, a really quick every year, every other year, new title. Focus on the marathon of your career and the skills you can build right now, because those will pay off. You might yeah. not get an immediate title now. And whereas you were maybe thinking through a, t- a new title in six months, that's suddenly we don't know when that's going to come. What doesn't change is you can develop skills right now and take advantage of the situation now to develop skills that will absolutely pay dividends down the line in your career. If you're looking at the long arc of your career, not just that next six month milestone. Yeah. I mean, if you, some good things to unpack here. If you think about the, what you eloquently said there, the arc of your career, you start when you're what, 22, 23 years old, maybe. People live into their 80s these days. And if, you know, some, I don't know, I don't want to retire really ever. I always think I'll do <laughs> something. You could work 30, 40, 50 years before you retire legitimately, right? And so I I don't remember who said this and I, I, I can't take credit for it, but instead of thinking about optimize, like if you're in the first decade of your career, even maybe the first two decades of your career, you should be optimizing for learning 
not optimizing for money because money, the majority of the money you'll ever make is probably going to come sometime after you're 45 anyway, right? So, yeah, and it's going to be a struggle then too, because guess what? You think you don't make enough now when you're 45 and you're making 10 times what you make today, you're going to spend 10 times what you make today. So, well, that's a whole different podcast. Be smart. I was going to say, we could, we could talk a whole other conversation around, we've got another hour, right? Oh man, yeah. Yeah, that topic. Manage, manage your personal burn and figure out how to optimize for learning in your career, because it's going to take you so much further, you know, so much further. I took a step back in my career in, oh gosh, probably 2009, 2010. And uh, right around the same time as the last economic crisis was happening. And I, I, I went, from running a hundred plus person professional services team in a software company to being a product director, product manager. And um, man, what, it was a whole different career. I took a step back pay wise. I didn't get as big of a bonus, but I learned so much and I was sort of been out of shape. I didn't like taking that pay cut, but boy, it has paid off for me in my career. So, um, you know, so one more thing you hit on, you know, is this whole notion of rethinking how you're working and I cannot stand when people say we got to do more with less now. It's like, no, you don't have to do more with less. You have to change the way you're thinking about solving the problem and do different with what you have. Like think about how to solve the problem differently. So I was just talking about that um, recently on, on funny enough, like Jan Young's uh, office hours, we were talking about the idea that look, it's, if you're trying to do more with less, you're you're thinking about it the wrong way because you want to be doing better, like not more. You want to be doing better. So you want to be focusing right. on what are the right things to do. Um, don't want to make the assumption that you need to just do all the things you've always done because you don't. Right. Yeah, it's this idea between thinking about efficiency and effectiveness. There, there are di- today, people like getting on a phone call, like a Zoom call with your clients is might be a little annoying for them. I mean, because I yesterday, Dan, I had like 13 Zoom calls. If I had had a vendor say, hey, can you can you hop on a Zoom call with me? I, my head might have exploded yesterday. So what is the more effective way for you and the more effective way for the customer to engage? It might be something you haven't thought of. It might be a Loom video or it might be a, a discussion forum or a or a post in the in the in the blog that you point somebody to rather than trying to have a conversation with them. So anyway. Once uh, you think that, it's effective now, then you can make it efficient later. The, the two quick things to say on that front, because I, I could not agree more. My my team will laugh when they listen to this because they, they know I'm a broken record. I, I literally tell them all the time, efficiency isn't our goal, effectiveness is. If yeah. you're doing something really well and quickly, it's like that old Bill Gates quote. If you, you know, he's talking about software, but if you take an inefficient process uh, and you automate it, all you're doing is exponentially increasing the inefficiency, the ineffectiveness. Yeah. You're not actually growing in efficiency. Um, and I think that that's where I come back to consistently. And then it's, yeah. And then it, it comes back to, to your point about the idea of, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes and amen. All right. So if you're listening to this, you can't see what I just flashed up on the screen, but I actually added this uh, old sign that says drink coffee, do stupid things faster with more energy. Like that's, that's the whole, like exactly the point I'm trying to get across with this, with this slide in this deck. So I don't expect everybody listening to to understand what just happened there, but, um, but yeah, that's it. You don't, don't just 
make things more efficient for that sake. You got to make sure they're working. And today is different than it was two years ago. It just, you have to. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So where do we go from here, Dan? We've hit a lot of different topics. Maybe let's like tie off on the scale success stuff. So as you think about the future at Monday, you talked a little bit about how you started the crawl, the, what you're doing now, you're sort of walking, starting to jog, like what's next for y'all in terms of how you think about scaling your, your practice. Yeah, I think that uh, what I'm most excited about is our team's had enough success that we're we're beginning to to roll out a lot of the program type things across segments. We've begun doing that across our other more kind of traditional segments. We've had enough success with them because to your point, meeting customers where they're at um, and really embracing the the core ethos that uh, I don't remember who it was or someone at my, at my org who said this and I thought this resonated so strongly. Um, the majority of your, of your users, regardless of segment are no touch users. Even at your biggest like enterprise customers, that's just definition. Like that's not a, that's not a negative. That's just literally the reality. And your TSMs should not be interacting with the majority of users at your large enterprise customers. That sounds obvious to say, but I think what we what we're at now, what's really exciting to me is that our teams had enough success with a lot of our programs that we're continuing that motion with the segment we own, trying to, to grow it at how we we use the time we have and, and get a you little know, stronger on the data. But the thing that most excites me is that we've had enough success that we're beginning to roll those programs out across all of our segments, even our more traditional ones, because we've seen the value of them um, and we've proved the value, which I think is something that is really exciting. So we've got to think through, it's a great challenge because what changes, what looks different, because obviously we've been targeting less complex customers with these because less complex in the sense of, by definition, size of contract, less complex. So things need to change a little, but that's a good challenge to have and super validating for the team to hear, hey, you've had such success on this that like, other parts of the company say, basically, we want in like that. And that for me is the exciting part. So that's, if I'm looking at what's next, that gets me excited. It's that. Okay. So you're going, going up market, different segments of the business that didn't start out. That's a way as we've had more and more of these conversations, we see this happen off more and more often, which is you start with the long tail segment and you think like, Hey, we're going to go do some automation. We're going to do some, you know, scale programs, webinars for that particular segment, but then you find really quickly, oh, wow, this stuff is really useful to the mid-market customers and really useful to the enterprise customers. And the CSMs find that they can lean on those programs to help save themselves time and to make their customers have a better experience because they're connected with other customers, they're connected with other staff within the company. So very cool. And I totally understand that. Have you found that with what you've just created today, that they've that inter- larger customers have started to filter into those programs just naturally? Uh, on accident. Yeah. On sort of, yeah. on some of that, which has been great, especially something like the office hours where we've had some of the larger customers attend. And, and that's something that has been, um, has been great just to be able to, and even things that we rolled out for um, within our community that were kind of maybe initially targeted at like our, our lower segment of customers that we've found ways to, roll out across other segments, things like the ability to, to vote on feature requests that was originally kind of for, for some of the lower touch segments. But then with our, even our larger, more enterprise customers, it gives their champions like a great out to like not have to manage all the feature requests of their teams because all their, their large teams will always have a million ideas. So suddenly this thing that was invented and in, in mainly for like low touch, no touch users is suddenly very hyper valuable to enterprise customers because now their champs aren't having to manage a million tiny requests and like be annoyed by their teams. Yeah. 
that's a that's a product ideation and product feedback uh community style is something that is a is sort of core to what our product does but it's such a valuable thing for the product team too because being able to put some guidelines out there for the customer and say hey you can submit any idea you want we're not going to review it until it gets x number of upvotes from the community then you're sort of getting a lot of input you're aggregating it it's not just like this death by a thousand cuts again back to my product management days that's some of the hardest thing about product management you have people coming to you with one-off stuff and we got to be better than that as a csm team so could not agree more could not agree more awesome so man we could go for another hour easily we probably shouldn't though because i'm sure you got stuff to do exactly um, this has been a great conversation and would love to to do it again and check in maybe in a couple of months and see how things are progressing there with you guys, but um, we appreciate you. We appreciate Monday because y'all, we, we're a big customer of yours as we've talked about. We use you for all of our onboarding. So that's uh, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, man, appreciate you coming on right. this. Thanks for having me. Really great conversation. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate thanks it. For, thanks for all you share publicly too. I think a lot of people learn from you on LinkedIn and in the various forums that you're involved in. How, how can people connect with you if they would like to do that? Yeah, easiest way, just just that LinkedIn and I, because I do all my thinking out loud there because I've benefited so much from other people doing their thinking out loud. And so I just join in the voices that have that have been beneficial to me. So love to connect with anybody who's listening to this on LinkedIn. It'd be great. Cool, man. All right. Have a great weekend. You too. All right. Bye, Jay. Hey, everybody. Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community it's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one -on -one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in-person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.